Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Losing Control is a podcast from Sports Illustrated Studios and iHeartRadio. I'm Justin Sua, and this is Losing Control, a podcast about one of the strangest phenomena in sports, the yips, or when an athlete or elite performer suddenly finds themselves unable to do the thing that they do better than almost everyone else on the planet. If you're listening for the first time, welcome. But if you want the full experience, head back to episode one. Losing Control is a podcast told through conversations with athletes, coaches, neuroscientists, and more. And it's in order. Each episode features a first-hand perspective that contributes a piece to the puzzle that is the yips. Along the way, you'll learn about some of the challenges that high performers face and the mental work that enables them to do what they do. Not only that, you'll hear how you can incorporate these tools, strategies, and mindsets into your own life. Because it's not just about losing control, it's about getting it back. So let's get started. Now, even though it might seem like sports are solely physical in nature, all sports have a mental component to them. And today we're looking at two sports, where the mental side of the game plays a huge role, archery and golf. Archery and golf are also two sports where the yips are fairly common. In archery, it's known as target panic, and in golf, 
the yips are simply the yips. In the first half of this episode, you'll meet one of the world's top archers, Paige Pierce. And in the second half, I'll introduce you to David Owen, who has been playing and writing about golf for decades. We're starting with archery, a sport you might not be very familiar with. Here's Paige Pierce. There are many different types of archery, but all of them involve the person shooting a bow and arrow at some form of target. Bingo, bango, Paige Pierce with a 10. My name is Paige Pierce. I am a world champion professional archer. I'm also a member of the United States archery team. So now I travel the world um, competing all year long, and that's what I do for a full-time job. If you've never seen professional archery, I highly recommend you watch a few videos of Paige. She's incredible. She is poised. She is focused. Her eyes are still. Her breathing is consistent. Her routine is on point. She looks like she's been doing this for a long time. When did Paige first pick up a bow? So I actually started shooting around the age of two, which I know sounds totally crazy, but both my parents shot, um, I would say semi-professionally. They had some sponsors, but always had other full-time jobs. And so when they had kids, my younger brother and I, they were always out on the range shooting. And so they just took us with them and we started shooting as soon as we could you know, remotely attempt that, they would actually push us around in a stroller and then stand us up, have us shoot the target, put us back in the stroller, and then push us to the next one. So it's pretty crazy. I've literally been shooting longer than I even remember doing it. Paige was breaking archery records before she was even a teenager. When I was 10 years old, I was shooting a state tournament and I broke a record. And um, by... 12, everyone was saying, hey, you're pretty good at this. You should um, go and try for the U.S. team. We have a Junior World Championships coming up. It's kind of a big deal. And so when I was 13, the following year, I actually tried out for the team and I qualified for that. And at the time, I was actually the youngest person to ever do that, which was pretty exciting. And then we went on to win a team gold medal there at that Junior World Championship. So that was pretty exciting. When I was 15 years old, I decided I wanted to go pro. I applied, got my official pro card, and then I've been traveling around on the pro circuit since I was 15. And Paige turned 27 earlier this year. So let's get into it. What does the mental side of Paige's shot actually look like? I would say that archery is about 90% mental and about 10% physical. And what I mean by that is once you're at that top level, so much of what we do is mental. And so with that, so much of that shot process is part of a subconscious process. In other words, I'm not thinking about it. I've done it so many times over the years that it just happens naturally. I let my subconscious process run. My body, my mind just knows what it's doing and it does that. And I don't really have to think about it. Thanks for talking about the mental side of archery because that's a topic we want to double click on a little bit and and peer into What does mental toughness look like in the sport of archery? Well, to be honest, mental toughness in the sport of archery shows up in the form of consistency and repeatability. So what's hard about archery is it's not a sport where if you get really excited or really jacked up and, you know, that you're maybe run faster or jump higher. It's all about staying calm, keeping your body in a consistent state keeping your heart rate low, keeping your breathing even. So under pressure, those can be very, very difficult things to do. 
And through mental training, you can teach yourself to stay more calm in those situations. And so someone with a very solid mental game will look very calm and very relaxed in high pressure situations. And so our mental training is a little bit different than other sports. And the aspect of ours is just remain calm, stay steady, keep everything consistent. And we have to do that all the time from beginning to end during a scoring round. Can you talk to us about how you mentally prepare for a competition? So when I was younger, my very first mental health technique was when I'm at full draw, sing a song. And my thought process was, you can't think two thoughts at once. So if I'm singing a song, I can't be thinking negative thoughts. I can't be fretting over, you know, anything that I'm worried about. I'm just going to be focused on those song lyrics. That's going to distract my conscious mind enough that my subconscious mind can do what it knows how to do and do what it's meant to do what I've trained it to do. There's certain techniques over the years that I've used, that being one of them, that on a really mentally tough day or a mentally tough end or arrow, I can use that and fall back on it as a crutch to basically get through those moments and keep my conscious mind at bay. In archery, your conscious mind is not your friend. And so, you know, any way to distract that, I'll use. On a good day, I won't need that. My conscious mind is very quiet. I can just do what I'm supposed to do, but we're human. That's not always how it goes. So that's just something that I've kind of used um, over the years to, to help during those pressure situations. So what was the song? So you're going to laugh. Um, the, the one song that I chose when I was 10 years old, and I've used the same song ever since, was Do You Believe in Magic by Allie and AJ from the Disney Channel, which I was watching when I was 10. <laughs> My recommendation, if you're going to pick a song to sing, is make it something that's happy, make it something that is upbeat, because in those pressure situations, something with a little bit of fast tempo is going to keep you engaged as far as like pushing, pulling, and all that stuff. Something really slow can kind of slow your shot process down mentally. The other thing that's really neat about archery that we haven't touched on yet is, again, it's all about consistency, but that also means consistent shot timing. Shooting a bow is a multi-step process, and Paige is going to talk about anchoring, or when an archer has fully drawn her bow and is preparing to shoot an arrow. So from when you anchor to when your shot breaks, you want a consistent time. And very often, under pressure, that time will change. So one really neat thing that using a song will do is also let you know okay, I'm definitely holding too long. So what I would do is whenever I hit my anchor point, I would start the chorus at the same exact spot. And I knew that roughly around this part of the chorus that my bow should fire. And if it didn't, it's like, man, I'm overholding, I'm holding too long, I should let down, which means basically instead of shooting the shot, you just let the string down, you can restart, take a few breaths and then draw that back again. Um, and so it also not just helps with mental distraction, but also with shot timing in those pressure situations and letting you know if you're doing your job or if you've slowed down or if you've sped up. Where the mind goes, the body flows. Under pressure, the mind has a tendency to go to the past or to go to the future. Now, to combat that, Paige has taught herself to have her mind chew on something else. And in this case... It's a song. Essentially what she's doing is she's distracting herself. She's thinking on purpose with purpose. But what does she do to keep herself mentally locked in today? So how I mentally prepare for a competition looks a lot different now than it did when I was younger and was still trying to 
work on establishing a mental game and mental toughness and mental strength and consistency. But visualization has always been something that I've done through my career. I started that about when I was 10 years old and um, have done that ever since. And so a lot of the times if I'm coming up to a big tournament, I've been to the venue, I know what it looks like because I've shot all these tournaments for so many years. And if I haven't, you can look up pictures or videos of what that venue is going to look like. And so I will visualize myself, you know, walking in, shooting on the practice range, shooting arrows for score. So by the time I get there, in my mind, I've already done all of that quite a few times. And I feel like that helps reduce the level of pressure that I'm going to feel The other thing that I'm doing on the daily is I actually have daily affirmation cards that are posted all around my house. They always are. And I update those after every event just to basically portray whatever my next goal is or the next thing that I'm trying to achieve. And there's some lines on there that might always stay the same, but then certain things for different events will change depending on the format or the style or the mental approach I need to take to be good at that style event. It sounds simple, but it's amazing how those simple practices can provide huge benefits. Not only does she write down her daily affirmations, she goes one step further. I am an auditory learner, and I knew that about myself. So writing the cards, reading the cards in my own mind, like, yeah, that's fine. But I took that a step further, and anyone with, you know, a phone nowadays, it probably has the ability to record So I went into my phone, went into voice memos and actually recorded my daily affirmation. And so I will actually play that back to myself a couple times a day. And hearing that had a way bigger impact on myself than just reading the card. And so I think what's really interesting is everybody's minds are different. They're all going to um, react different to different things. And so I took the normal part of what would be called a mental management process and tried to change that a little bit to something that I knew would work better for myself and my learning style. And I kind of think that's what it's all about. I feel like when you've shot enough tournaments over enough years, you know, it's not that you need that exact mental training before every event you've just done it so much that it's kind of built into you that you're going to be fine but I still like to use those day-to-day techniques to just make sure that I keep up on my mental game and that it doesn't start to fall behind. I love the term she uses mental management what that implies is that Paige is constantly aware of where her mind is she's aware of her thoughts And she's aware that her thoughts will impact her emotions, which will impact her body, which will ultimately impact her performance, which is why she's very deliberate with what she says to herself and what she thinks about herself. What's also interesting is that she customizes her practices to her needs. She changes. She evolves. And the things she did in the past might not be things she does right now. However, she doesn't just stop doing it completely. She still makes it part of her process, but she tweaks it occasionally according to her current needs. It's very easy to hit the autopilot mode and just go through the motions. And Paige understands that it's a constant upkeep. And the reason that's so important is because at the highest level of sport or music or business or any industry, everyone works hard. Everyone is smart. And oftentimes, the separator is the mental game. It's the person who's able to quiet their mind and manage their thoughts who has the competitive advantage. Now when we're back, we're talking about the yips in archery. It's target panic after this. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. 
podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glazer podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glazer podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glazer podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferreira, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. 
old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Losing Control, and I'm Justin Sua. I'm talking with Paige Pierce, one of the best archers in the world. Paige and I talked about how she keeps her mental game sharp, but what happens when the yips occur? In archery, the yips are known as target panic. Back to the conversation. Can you please talk about target panic? So target panic in archery is a very interesting and complex thing. Basically, it's when something is happening in your mind that shows through in your shot that you cannot control. Like your mind is taken over, you know it's wrong and you know that shouldn't be happening, but no matter what you do, it happens anyway. It's something that has just gone wrong in your mental process. So when your mind is the one that's doing something that you don't want, it's a very, very long road to try to break down those bad habits and rebuild new ones. Have you ever seen either with competitors or teammates where target panic it ended up affecting them not only as an athlete, but it affected them outside of their sport as well. Have you ever seen the devastating effects of someone experiencing target panic? When we spend so much of our life shooting a bow, seeing someone who's on the professional level battle that and go through something like that, I mean, you can see that it wears down, not just on their archery game and their performance, but that's going to hurt their overall confidence, their overall self-esteem, their overall self-image. And so I feel like a lot of the times, you know, if they're performing well and shooting well and things are going smooth, in normal life, their normal energy is going to be really high and very positive. But a lot of the times when you're struggling, that will carry over to normal life as well. And that's something that I hate to see in archery, but it's very real. Like I said, when you spend so much of your life shooting a bow and you feel like you're failing and you're struggling and your mind is doing something you don't want it to do, of course you're going to feel those same emotions on a day-to-day basis. And so, you know, it's something that can be very challenging, but if you can learn to work through it and you can beat it, it can also be very rewarding. Have you ever experienced it? I do experience a form of aiming target panic. And what that means is that my mind does not like when my pin aims in the center of the target. And so my mind's comfort zone when I'm aiming is actually low on the target face. Now, if we have a scoring face that scores 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, and so on, my comfort zone is right around the 8 ring. And so I can aim there nice and steady. But if I take my bow and I try to force aim it in the middle, my mind freaks out, my bow moves all over the place, And it's just not comfortable. But if I let it relax back down by the eight, it will sit nice and still. Paige became a world champion archer while she was living with target panic. Most people look at target panic like something is severely wrong and I have to fix it. But rather than struggle through fixing my problem, I just embraced it. And I shot aiming that way for basically my entire life up until this last year. I finally worked on fixing it and I've had pretty good success since then, but it was brutal. It was tough. It was challenging. It was frustrating. But up until then I did what most people haven't done and I just let it aim where it wanted and just embraced it and I trusted it and I rolled with it. And while I was struggling with a form of of obviously mental target panic at the same time, I was also showing a form of mental toughness to be able to just say, I'm going to make this work 
this is what's going to happen. I'm just going to cite in for it. I'm going to shoot it and it's going to work well. And it did. It worked very well for a lot of years. But um, I finally decided, you know what, I want to beat this. I want to break this. And I want to be better than that. And so um, I had to put a lot of time and a lot of effort in, but I'm finally making some really good progress. You're probably not surprised to hear that Paige figured out how to manage her target panic, even after living with it for the majority of her career. Last year, I was finally like, I've, I'm sick of aiming low. I've had enough of this. I was constantly having to adjust my sight. Every time I walked up to the line, it would want to aim lower and lower. And I was sick of fighting that. So I actually reached out to a guy, his name's Joel Turner, and he has what's called Shot IQ. It's literally like a little online course that you can pay and you go through that. He had some very good information in there, but it's funny because it was one of the most simple things that ended up helping me. And I'll say it because it's, um, it's, it, it is so simple yet so helpful. So one um, small thing that made a huge difference was I actually now draw back anchor and then I put my pin to the middle first and mentally it was so much easier to do that. I'm discovering it was because I know my bow can't fire. And so it's the anticipation of the shot going off that I was struggling with. But if I put my pin to the center without my thumb on the trigger, I know the bow cannot go off. Basically, Paige is aiming first. And then only when she's ready to fire does she put her thumb on the trigger. That was one small, small thing, but it made a huge difference for me. And I'm still using that same thing in my shot process today. And so... With target panic being so mental, you know, it's just trying to break down the mental wiring that we've built and create a new one or change the one that is there to basically help, you know, stop that mental process that is creating target panic for you. I asked Paige if the mental training she does for archery translates into other aspects of her life. I do think that the mental aspect of archery does help me manage other things in my life. The cool thing about mental stuff is that it's never just for one thing. It really will change like how you think about life as a whole and how you handle situations as a whole. And so even if you're not someone who's a professional athlete or that's not your goal, there are still huge benefits even in daily life to you know, being able to step back and think about certain situations differently, maybe stay calm in times when you wouldn't have. And so, you know, mental management and learning how your mind works and how to control it and stuff is something that I would recommend to everybody because I really do think it, it can improve your quality of life in any job or any situation in relationships um, and all of the above, really. I always shy away from absolutes. And while the mental management tools you're working on in your sport may help in other areas of your life, it doesn't necessarily mean it will. I've had players tell me that they're taking the mental skills we've worked on together and are teaching it to their children. But I've also had players tell me that they wish they were better at applying the mental skills work they use on the field to other areas of their life. You might not be battling target panic, but think about the moments of friction in your life. Can you approach them deliberately? Can you implement a strategy that meets your needs? Can you visualize yourself surmounting that obstacle you've been facing? It's worth a shot. We'll be back with David Owen after this.
The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. 
old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Justin Sua, and this is Losing Control. And we're back for the second half of today's episode from archery to golf, two sports that require incredible mental prowess. Now, of all the sports out there, the yips may be the most widely studied in golf. And maybe that's because it just seems so impossible. How can you not hit a ball that's not moving? It's got to be nerves or choking, right? I think that people who do not have the yips and they're looking at somebody who does, the most obvious explanation, well, they must be nervous. They're, you know, they're, they're choking. Uh, but I think that for somebody who is experiencing the yips from the other side, it's entirely different. It doesn't feel like that at all. That's the voice of David Owen. He's been a staff writer at the New Yorker magazine since 1991. He's written numerous books, but more importantly, he's a contributing editor at Golf Digest. And he's been writing about golf for many years. I think every golfer, you know people who get nervous and hit poor shots when they're nervous, but you also know people who are clearly affected by something that is darker and deeper than that because you can see it. You can see the movement in there. You can see the flinch uh, in their hand when they try to make a putt. I've seen it in other people, and it's, it is fascinating when you watch someone closely and you see every time they make the putting motion, their hand turns you know it turns in the same way every time and they're they're not conscious of it necessarily but they can't stop it there's you could point it out to them you could show it to them on videotape and they would be unable not to do it and just like in baseball in gymnastics and in archery there's no easy fix i think that one of the hardest things about it for people who suffer from it is that people who don't suffer from it think there must be an easy solution anybody who has the yips is used to getting endless uh, technical advice from playing partners, you know, just do this, just hold your hands like this, just, you know, just uh, stop doing that, do this, you know, don't hit up, hit down, do do whatever. And it's not, uh, the, the difficulty is that it's not that kind of problem. It's not, real true yips is not a problem of technique. It's, uh, it's it, it has been accurately described, I think, by people who suffer from it as a, a wiring problem in the head. It's a, it can be totally career-ending for professionals, and you see it at every level. It just it could destroy the players, not only success, but the, any enjoyment they take in the game. And you see people who do extraordinary things to try to avoid it. There's trying to avoid it, and then there's trying to manage the yips once you have it. One of the most famous ones is the, the golfer Johnny Miller, who became a beloved golf announcer. And his announcing career really began because he, he couldn't play competitive golf anymore. And the reason he couldn't is that even, at, even though he's basically at the peak of his ability in every other way, he had this terrible yipping problem with his putts. And he actually won uh, the British Open while yipping. But in order to enable himself to putt, he had to do this really strange thing. He painted a red dot on the grip of his putter, and he looked at that instead of at the ball. And that enabled him to get by well enough to go on. Now, there's also Hank Haney, one of the best-known golf coaches out there. Hank Haney, who was uh, Tiger Woods' teacher for a long time, had what is much less common than putting yips, which is full swing yips. He was unable to take a full swing with a golf club. And he studied it and studied it, looked at slow motion videotapes of himself playing golf, and he would go out by himself and 
try to overcome it mechanically. What he eventually realized by accident is that he was able to hit the ball pretty well if he didn't look at it. And so he would be teaching people and he would hit a shot without looking at the ball. And the students were impressed because it looked like something difficult. But for him, it was just it was just the only way he could hit a ball. And he eventually developed this really peculiar routine where he would take what sort of looked like a baseball practice swing and he would take the club all the way back. It was this little routine that he went into before he hit the ball. And he was basically winding himself up through this succession of very odd-looking movements, and, and then he would let go, and he would hit the ball, and he could do it. So we have Johnny Miller and Hank Haney. These aren't just well-known characters who've had the yips. These are some of the best pros out there. I think probably the best-known golfer with a yips problem was the German golfer, Bernard Longer, who has actually he's found workarounds for his yips three different times during his career. He got the yips while putting, and then he adopted a putting stroke in which he would he would hold the putter all the way up his left forearm, and then he would grip his left forearm around the putter shaft with his right hand. And so he had kind of immobilized uh, his left hand and his right hand, and, and the putter shaft became, I guess, really an extension of his left arm, and he could putt that way. Then that stopped working. He moved to a long putter and cured it that way. And then uh, the... The two big international golf governing bodies, in their wisdom, decided that putting with a long putter anchored against the body would no longer be allowed. Uh, and so he had to develop a, a third way to, uh, yet another way to overcome this problem. Bernard Longer is a guy who won the Masters not once, but twice. There have been many, many uh, well-known golfers, many well-known athletes who have, at some point in their career, usually late, they get this uncontrollable, like a spasm when they try to do a particular action. It's always a particular action. It's often one involving uh, fine motor control. It's often one that's often repeated and often one that's in slow motion. As an expert in the yips told me, you don't see tennis players with the yips except on the serve or on the toss. It's always a movement that starts from immobility. You know, a golfer's always immobile before taking a swing. A dart player is always standing there. The snooker player, a billiard player, is, is standing still. The, the motion starts from a dead stop. A tennis player playing tennis, you know, returning volleys, is in the flow, and it doesn't happen there. The only times it happens with the serve, the toss, and also with a, you know, with a lob shot, this getting ready to return a lob shot. You're going to smash it down the, uh, the throat of your opponent, and uh, you have too long to think about it, and the ball ends up in the net or beyond the end of the court. One thing you said that was intriguing to me is you said usually later in careers is when you have seen this develop. Why do you think that's the case? Well, one reason may simply be that if uh, if it happens to somebody early in their career, they don't have a career. But I think also there's a there is a sense that there is some certainty that it's a problem that gets worse with use and that if it is as some people believe it is a kind of wiring wiring problem neurological wiring problem there are connections that like an electrical system where you develop short circuits so there are there's sparking across gaps uh, and that it's more likely to occur later after uh, repeated 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 use and if you think about it this way it's pretty clear how the workarounds work you're just bypassing a broken circuit 
I think some of the workarounds really are like workarounds. They're like detours. There's a wiring problem in one neural path, and you overcome it by kind of creating a new neural path so that the the signals you're sending are taking a different path to this. There, it's you're kind of shaking things up. You're trying a different technique of doing what's essentially the same thing, moving the putter back and forth. You're sending different signals to the hands to bypass whatever this roadblock is that's developed. And I think that's why the workarounds work. The really interesting thing about all these is that nobody really understands why they work or why they stop working when sufferers find something that enables them to overcome their difficulty and it works for a while and then it stops. And so I think if you are a yip sufferer or a dartitis sufferer or a target panic sufferer or a flincher if you're a, a shooter, you have to be ready to try something else. And the same is true in golf. When you see somebody who cannot make a a normal putting stroke right-handed but has no problem at all left-handed under any circumstances, you realize that you know it's not because he was choking. There was something else going on, even if we aren't entirely certain what it was. You have to be ready to experiment. And sometimes what works starts to yip. When David wrote about Hank Haney's swing in 2014, it was unconventional. But years later, Haney had to change his swing again because his yips had shifted. Haney told me that, and he said that his swing, if I played with him that day, he said I would find that his swing looked much more conventional than it had on the day that I'd played with him before. But he said that if he get, let it get too conventional, he could feel his problem coming back, and he would have to go back to his to his workarounds. So Bernard Langer is another example of someone. He found a way to cure his yips, but then his yips came back, and he had to find it, another cure. So it's not a cure like making the problem go away forever. There's clearly in some people there's a tendency, and it, and it tends to, it sneaks back. It, it, it finds a way to, to work back in. David said that there may be a tendency to yip. I'm going to go back to that. There's a researcher who did a really interesting study where they took a bunch of people who had never played golf ever and gave them a putter and a ball and no instructions. said, just, you know, do whatever you need to to get this ball in the hole. And they filmed them in super slow motion with all this analytical equipment and detected severe yips in something like 20% of the people. These were people who'd never played golf before. And then they did this interesting thing of, of turning them around. So you take somebody who was right side dominant and whatever putting stroke they had invented, they had them do the mirror image. So they were doing it left side. And when everybody putted the other way around, the yips all went away. So I think it's probably something that is common to some degree in many, many people, many more people than who look as though they have a real problem. Uh, in many people, it's at a level that they can accommodate it just with, you know, they learn to, they learn to work around it. But I think that the idea that, that it's widespread, you know, the explanation could be that just because of ordinary life, maybe using your, you know, typing on your phone, all the activities that we do, these fine motor activities that we do with our hands, with our fingers, maybe over time, they create a tendency to to make mismotions and they become visible in certain activities like maybe they become visible in putting and golf or or maybe you start playing darts and 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 this accumulated damage that you've done to your whatever to your nervous system to plus your perceptual system maybe somehow that all works together and causes a problem from the perspective of a writer you've been around the game for a long time you've played the game for a while how do you think about the relationship between the body and the mind when it comes to golf? 
Well, I think in every sport, it's huge. And you see in golf, you know, the world of golf at the highest levels is incredibly deep. The skill level of all over the world, there's so many players who basically have perfect technique. And yet a relatively small number of them are make it as uh, tour players, as professional tour players. And the reason has to do with the mind. You know, they're for one reason or another, they think like dominant athletes. Tiger Woods is the most extreme example. And, and he is a totally extreme example. I remember during the you know, in the, in the 2000s, in the aughts, uh, when he was at the peak of his powers, there were years when he had enough points in the world golf ranking system to be both the number one and number two player in the world. In other words, you could have divided his year in half, and each half was better than whoever was next in line. It was just an incredible level of dominance. And it wasn't his technique it was i mean he's a brilliant brilliantly skilled physically skilled athlete but i think his main advantage was you know was mental and he was somehow you know like michael jordan like some other great players he was just able to think in a way that a a champion thinks however that is it's not something that i have any experience with i was once told by an athlete that he is more nervous watching the game from the dugout than actually being in the game himself. And I asked him why. He said, well, because when you're in the game, your focus is narrow. The only thing that matters is this moment. You're not worried about the future. You're not worried about the past. You're in the here and now. This champion's mindset that David is describing for a lot of these athletes, they do it by default. David had a chance to watch Tiger Woods up close. I did get to spend time with Tiger Woods and I decided that the uh, thing that uh, distinguishes an athlete like Tiger Woods, Michael Jordan, you know, these like ultra superstars, the guys way at the top, is not that they're uh, determined to win, but that they're not afraid to lose. And so with Michael Jordan, you know that if there's a second to go in a basketball game and there's a somebody can, a shot from the three-point line could win the game, you want Michael Jordan to take it. And the reason is not that he's set on winning, but that he's not afraid to miss the shot. And so he doesn't, there's, he doesn't clench up in a way that you or I might. And same with true with T- Tiger Woods. You think of how many times he had a longish putt to win a tournament at the very last moment and made it. And, uh, you know, he told me that he never feels calmer than when he is in a situation like that. It's kind of, I think, the, the reverse of what it is for most of us. And it's an ex- one of the many explanations for why we don't do things at that level. But it's interesting that what life must be like for athletes who perform at that level. And the same true probably in poker, in, uh, in bridge, and other, in chess, in other activities. But here's the thing. Even someone as dominant as Tiger Woods isn't immune to the yips. The yips uh, and its related difficulties are different. It's not, you know, people who people who come down, you know, Tiger Woods could come down with them. And there are people who have thought that maybe he had the full swing yips. It's not because if, if he did or if he does, if, if he had them or has them or if he ever develops them, it won't be because he is not mentally fit to play his game. It will be something else. It will be some some difficulty, some wiring difficulty, some neurological difficulty that we don't yet understand. And I, and that's true with, uh, at all levels, you know, people, there's a particular kind of problem. There are many kinds of problems that can affect people's ability to play games, physical difficulties, mental difficulties. But I think the yips fall more into the physical category than they do into the mental, even though there are psychological elements that can make it worse. It originates somewhere else and the root cause is somewhere else. 
and we aren't exactly sure what that is. On the next episode of Losing Control, we bring in the neuroscientists and neurologists. It's the science behind the yips. Next time on Losing Control. A sincere thank you to our guests. Paige Pierce, a world champion archer and member of Team USA, and David Owen, a staff writer at the New Yorker magazine and contributing editor at Golf Digest. David wrote about the yips for the New Yorker in 2014. The piece is called The Yips, What's Behind the Condition That Every Golfer Dreads. Thank you so much for listening, and don't forget to rate and subscribe. I'm Justin Sua, your host, and you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Justin Sua. That's J-U-S-T-I-N-S-U-A. You can also check me out on the Increase Your Impact podcast. Losing Control is a podcast from Sports Illustrated Studios and iHeartRadio. Original music by Jerome Sua. Michael McDowell is our producer. Editing and mixing by Will Stanton. This episode was fact-checked by Zoe Mullick. At SI Studios, Max Miller is supervising producer, and Brandon Getchis and Matt Lipson are executive producers. At iHeartRadio, Sean Titone is our executive producer. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast does not provide medical advice, and nothing you hear on this podcast is intended or implied to be a substitute for professional medical consultation, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding your health. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on this podcast. Hannah Storm and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. 
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.